Good evening. I have the wonderful joy of being able to share a little bit with you tonight. We have been on a journey at our church, a journey towards becoming unbreakable. And if you got here a little early, you probably heard a little rhythm and blues song called Unbreakable by a pop artist named Alicia Keys. And that song talks about all that it takes in a marriage, in a relationship, to become unbreakable. So I'm gonna just go back over what we've gone over the last three weekends. The first part of becoming unbreakable is that we are committed as a church to community. You are committed because some of you, when I'm here on Saturday nights, I see you on a regular basis. And though some of you even come back on Sundays. And you've got to be committed to do two days of church at one time. The second one was that we're encouraged to encourage one another. I don't know about you, and I think they may still be back there, but there are some postcards that were the best thing anybody could have given me in my hand. I wrote folks' names on them and said, I love you, I'm thinking of you, and I just put them in the mail. Encouragement is what we need. I don't know about you, but if you're discouraged all the time, like that boy was when Pete traded his baseball cards, you need someone to tell you. I'm sure his mother, in an encouraging way, said, you did what? You gave him what? And then probably said, well, you didn't know. And then he got him back. And thank you for being such a kind friend. <laughs> then the third week, we talked about communication being our primary focus. I don't know about you, but in the age of smartphones and social media, sometimes I'll start to write an email. And if I'm smart, I read it before I send it. And I'm concerned about tone, aren't you? You can't see a person's face when you send them an email. You can't um, figure out what they're thinking. You don't know whether they're still in their pajamas or <laughs> they're in the midst of a bus ride. You don't know what's going on. The kids are screaming, you know, and all that. And communication becomes uh, less and less, especially as we depend on social media. And so when I get tired, I just pick up the phone and say, I was just thinking about you. How are you doing? And those things mean all the world to me and to other people. But this week, we're given the opportunity to practice the first three things. And the only way you get to practice is by doing, right? By doing life together, by spending time together. And we have a chance to do three things if we spend time together. One is we will get to know each other. The second thing is we'll wish we didn't get to know each other. <laughs> and then the third thing is, is we just might really start to love each other. There's a passage of scripture that we're going to look at, and there are going to be a few of them that go up. And this first one, let's read it together. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You get close as a church. And I had the blessing of growing up in a big church and then a smaller church. And honestly, the smaller church was where I grew because I knew people when I saw them. I knew them by name. And in a big church, you can get to do that too. Just be consistent. But... I love the idea that when God says that we devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which we get great teaching every Sunday. I don't know about you. I don't know how, about you feel, how you feel about tonight after this is over. But normally, we get wonderful teaching. And you grow, and you have something to think about when you leave here. And then we fellowship. Some of us have coffee together downstairs. There are three little triplet girls that I look for every week. And it's gone from, hi, to, hey, Miss Felicia, high five. I look for them every week. They just bring joy to my life, you know. And now it's soon, pretty soon it'll be Auntie Felicia, and I'll be good with that too. And then we fellowship together. We break bread. Let's go to lunch. Let's do coffee. Let's do something together. Let's just sit on the stoop and talk. And then to prayer. 
And if you are doing life together, you're going to start to share those hurts. You're going to start to share those fears, those annoyances. What's going on with your crazy kids? And hopefully you'll pray about that. So this is what we're doing in this session today. And at some point in our lives, you guys, you believe it's important to come to church. On a Saturday night, on a Sunday morning, you believed it. Why you believed it, I don't know. Was it because I was raised that way and this is what my parents did? Some of us are creatures of habit, aren't we? We just do it because it's a routine, it gets us in a groove. Or because I feel like I may have neglected the spiritual training of my family and they've got a great children's program here and I can come and be sitting by myself for 20 minutes at least and hear the word of God. Other times it's because a wife or husband drug you or a girlfriend or boyfriend <laughs> drug you and you came and you know what? You might learn something when you do that. Then it's, I like the music. I keep saying we have one of the best praise and worship bands in the western suburbs. I don't know about you. And you, that's good. That's a good reason to come to worship. I know I need something to get me through the week. And if you're like me, though I work in this place and it's wonderful, like, like Pete said, we have a fun staff pretty much. Everybody's a comedian. We have a good time together. But sometimes I just need to sit and hear God's word and participate in the worship and ask him to come to me again the way I need him to fill me. And then finally, I can go in and out and feel good about coming here, but never commit to anything. Can't you? And the larger the church, the easier it is to do that. The fact is, opening up your life to people is difficult. Especially if your life is messy. And all of our lives are messy from time to time. I remember my first months of getting married, um, in getting married, I wanted to get this relationship right with this guy. He's sitting over here and I already asked his permission, so I'm going to tell you about this. I wanted to get to know him. And my theme song could have been getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I studied this dude. <laughs> I wanted to know what made him tick, what ticked him off, what his favorite things were, what he liked to eat. And he had to help me a few times in that liking to eat area. I learned at the core, though, by just watching him, without anything being said, that his biggest desire was to please the Lord. And I also learned along with that, that he was committed to me and the family that we were going to eventually have to the bitter end, if we didn't take each other out first. <laughs> but no matter if we took each other out, we'd still be together, no matter what we did. And in this space called church and community, we will get to know each other. Now, I've been a pastor's wife for how long, honey? 37 years almost? Something like that. And I know church. If I don't know anything else, I get it. And I get that church is a wonderful place to be in community, to grow and love each other in. The Acts say, the Acts passage says that they devoted themselves to spiritual practices. The word devoted has a strong connotation, and it means having a strong love or loyalty for something or someone, like I have for him and like I still have for him. In the Greek, it means to dedicate or to consecrate yourself to. So it's more than just coming. I'm devoted. I come every week. It's a routine. But then it moves from hopefully a routine to real devotion, to where you look for those same faces every week. There's some people that I know they're going to be at that door no matter what. And if they're not there, I'm concerned about that. They're going to kiss me and hug me. And one person slobbers right here on their cheek every week. I know that person will be there. I'm kind of getting to like that. I'm kind of getting to know that there's some people that just will love on me no matter how I look, 
no matter what I'm dressed like that day, I know that when I get to that door, I'm gonna be welcomed. And they're devoted to doing what they do. That's why we need the greeters and all that. But hopefully, at some point in your life, some of you have been part of a team. Raise your hand if you've been a part of any team. That's almost everybody in the room. Something, somehow, whether it was bridge club, whether it was the Monday night football crew that you hang out with, the woman's book club, you have made it a point to do life together, right? And in those places, again, you share joy, you share sorrow, you share woe, what you're going through. And if you believe it, you're hopefully praying together. And so in spite of all those different people with all their human frailties, they've just decided, let's just do this together no matter what. And for us in this space, it's more than just who we are, where we come, where we sit every Sunday. I remember when I was a kid, there were some people that just sat in the same seat every, and I had to crawl over them every week. And I used to wonder, why don't you just move over? What is the problem? But you know what? Eh, if that was the biggest issue they had was the seat they sat in, I stopped worrying about it because I wasn't there to sit in that seat too. And I'd become the same way eventually myself. Or who I talked to. I've talked to the same people all the time. I had to make it a point to decide to do community and to talk to other people. Then there's sometimes when you decide to do community together that you assume that everybody here has it together but you. It's a lie. <laughs> Nobody has it all together. There are times when we're more together than others. When you do church together, you realize each other's frailties and woundedness and issues and tempers and all that goes with that. But hopefully we've devoted ourselves to coming here and we're not so easily messed up by those things that happen. You see, when I first came here, I had some preconceived ideas. I was a new person. All of us that started here working and everything else, we were all new at one time. And I was a little nervous. You know, I, I did church a long time, been to church, but understand the whole concept, but it was different. And I just knew I was gonna mess up somewhere down the line. But there were people that when I messed up said, and you should hear the things Mike Murphy says in our ears before we get up here. But anyway, sometimes you're with people and they say, it's okay. It's your first time. You're going to get it right eventually. And eventually you do because you relax and you start to love on each other. And I know that people here love me no matter what I do. I can't push that too much. But no matter what I do, I feel loved and accepted. Some of them were right, the preconceived ideas that I had. Some of them were completely shattered when I made a decision to see and accept the way I wanted to be seen and accepted. The biggest thing happened, the challenge in my life came, and some of you know this, I had a cancer diagnosis back in April. And it is a time when you really need people around you. And I remember going into somebody's office downstairs and laying on the floor with them and just crying and saying, I want to live. I don't want to die. I want, my kids haven't gotten married. And the first time I ever said it, because I don't say a whole lot, but this time I just couldn't take it anymore. And I got tired of walking around like I had it all together. And I finally just yanked this person with a cup of coffee in their hand to their office and lay flat on the office floor and said, I need you to put your hands on me and pray. Crises call us, cause us to do life together in a different way, doesn't it? Crisis calls us to love each other in a different way. Well, that's great. That's a great story. But sometimes it doesn't work out that good. And sometimes, as we do life together, we wish we didn't know each other. Doing 
faith in a faith community, doing marriage, doing friendship is tough. I have fallen out with some of my best friends and fallen back in again with them and fallen out with them. Some of them I'm still out with, and, but most of them I'm back in again because as we get older, we realize life is too precious not to have the relationship. Truth is, doing life is messy. One of the things that Steve did for me, and we blessed each other in different ways over the years, was remember I told you I was anxious about getting to know him? And, and I just, there was some part of me that was a little closed off. And one day in godly wisdom that God gave him, he looked at me and said this. He said, what you're afraid of is that when I really get to know you, I won't like you. Pregnant pause. That's just how I was. Ooh, that's tough. But that's the truth of doing community, is that you see the dark sides of people. You think they're strong. And as a woman, you know, back in the 70s and 60s, you, you, you stand by your man, and the man comes in, he's leading and all this stuff. And sometimes you realize they're just as scared as you are, maybe more. But what he said to me was the truth. I love you anyway. No matter what you do, you're never going to stop me loving you. And that's how God is for us, isn't it? And you know that you're accepted. It says, the scripture says, you're accepted in the well-beloved. So we sin, we disappoint, but there's forgiveness, and we're drawn back into right relationship with God. And it's the same thing with human beings, to forgive each other and to be drawn back into the relationship. Sometimes they get better because you've had the bump. Sometimes the static is good because you really got it out in the open and it's down and dirty. And sometimes you find out that everybody is not who you say, who they say they are. Scripture says in 1 John 1, 5 through 7, it says, if we claim we have fellowship with God, it's him, that's the him we're talking about, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all of our sins. That's what I mean about the forgiveness and the constant saying before the Lord, I snapped at my wife. I kicked the dog and rolled on the children, or I rolled on the children and kicked the dog, whatever I did. But the opportunity to find forgiveness with Christ is the same opportunity we have with each other as believers. I've had to go to some people and say, you know, I had a real bad attitude. Something just happened. And, and, I, and I find that more than likely, people understand. People care. They'll forgive you. Now, don't keep doing that over and over again, because sometimes you get a little tired of that, and you get protective of yourself. But in most cases, those of us who know the Lord understand forgiveness. We understand grace. So we give grace to others. There's a quote that says, nobody can do as much damage to a church the church of God, as a man who is within its walls, but not within its life. Isn't that something? Nobody can do as much damage as somebody who just sits here, judges everything, looks around, makes decisions, isn't sure where he or she belongs, but is critical of everything, but not doing life with us. Because the more you do life together, the more forgiving you become of one another. So in some ways, that's great. Those people, I, you know, don't come up to me after the service and tell me bad stuff. You know, do life with me, love with me, help me, correct me, but do it in love. I can take it if you do it in love. The Holy Spirit inspired message of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 
is the apostle, that the apostle John wrote wasn't an accident. Jesus knew that we would disappoint him and each other, and we would learn to, but we would learn to walk in his way. We could fall back to the convenient ways of the way we do things, but if you like me, because I was the oldest child and a people pleaser, my parent pleaser anyway, not a people pleaser, but a parent pleaser, I wanted to get it right. Don't you? Don't you want to finally figure out how to make the pork chops and rice right and not burn it? <laughs> you want to get it right. But what you find out in the journey is that people still lie. People still have dishonest practices they're working on. As I said before, they beat the kids or kick the dog or vice versa. That we have grown man and woman tantrums if things don't go our way. We are lousy financial managers. We're jealous and threatened by each other. And then we find out when we come to church that leaders sometimes disappoint us. And they're not always what we expect they will be. They're going to make mistakes or they make a decision we don't like. But do we sit there with that? No. We understand that decisions are part of life. Things are part of life. Dogs barking too loud are part of life. And we learn to live together in community. Truth is, things will happen, but it's a part of spending time with one another. Truth is, you're here because you are all of those things we talked about, but so much more. You are a gifted member of the body of Christ. You have something to contribute. And I don't care if anybody tells you that you don't. Sometimes you can sit and look at all the talented people around the church or at your job or, you know, at your women's book club and people that speak so eloquently. They can't do everything. So we need you to be in community with us. We need you to spend time. We need you to see our foibles. We need your suggestions about how to think, make things better. But people are not perfect. You are not perfect. I'm not perfect. If you spend time with me, one of the things you'll get to see is I have the ugliest cry in the world. My face frowns up. I don't even, if I know I'm going to a wedding, I don't even wear makeup on my eyes because I know what's going to happen. And it is an ugly cry. You'll get to know that about me. You'll get to know that I got a little bit of a temper. It's different from most people's, but I have one. But then you get a chance to hold me accountable for that ugly temper. You get a chance to say, Felicia, Man, you changed. That's gotten so much better. And I get to say that to you. I remember once joining a new uh, team of folks. I was working on a project in the city. And one of the people on the team kept on reminding me that I wasn't measuring up. I don't know if you know what that feels. How many of you know what that feels? And if you don't want to raise your hand, so you just can't get it right. You can't do that. You just, you know, everything you do. And then what happens is you become more and more nervous around that person. So you trip over yourself. You drop things. It just makes it really bad. But this person just kept verbally reminding me in front of everybody, well, this needs to happen and that needs to happen. I'm like, you, haven't, you don't even know my name, but you've already decided that I'm not measuring up. For a day or two, I began to doubt everything that I knew that God had put in me to do the work that I was supposed to do with these folks. About day three, I got tired of this. And as he always does, before I said anything, the Lord got in my head. This is one thing about knowing the word of God. You can't get away from it. And I was getting ready to, and God said, no. And a verse went through my head. Be patient one with the other. And then my husband has this quote, I need to be patient with people because God is patient with me. 
So I stopped there and I, how do I, how do I deal with this person? But he reminded me that he hadn't made a mistake, that he made me just the way I am with my ugly cry and my temper and whatever other stuff that goes wrong with me, but that I was equipped to do that and that I didn't need to prove myself to anybody but him. And if I did it bringing glory to him, then it would bring blessing to everybody else who was around me. There's a quote that, this one's a little different and it should come up here in a second. And I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna translate for you. Few people are capable of expressing their ecumenity, opinions that differ from the prejudices of the social environment. Most people are even incapable of forming such an opinion. Now notice who the quote is from. Who is it from? That's why it doesn't sound like this. Here's the real deal. The apple don't fall too, much, too, don't fall too far from the tree. That's what they're saying. People are a product of their own social environment. They're a product of what they know and where they go and what they see and what they do. And, and, and we, we bring these harsh opinions or narrow opinions or wide opinions, broad opinions with us. And sometimes we're making a judgment call based on what we know only. And some people not even capable of forming an opinion with what they know. That's what Albert Einstein is saying. So when we come to church, let's not let our fears, and some of us have stuff that drive us nuts that have been problems of ours since we were children. Rejection, self-ridicule, I made a mistake again. Making mistakes, lack of education, or sometimes you can be too educated, right? Saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Maybe my car is not as nice as everybody else's. I don't wanna park next to that Benz I see out there. Yeah. Not being perfect. Somebody told me, um, and there's somebody, I think is still in the room, told me they were a recovering perfectionist. I think that's great. They were recovering perfectionists, having to do things right all the time. You know, I don't have a job, so I don't look like everybody, and I can't talk about my workplace, so I'm not coming to church and be around people who look like they have wonderful positions. Come, you might find a job. My physical appearance, I don't look like everyone else. I don't dress the same way. And my family, my dysfunctional family, I put my rowdy family because if you're like me, I had one child that would come into church and the party started. And then when I got ready to take her out, she would reach out to the old ladies, help me, <laughs> help, because she knew what was gonna happen to her. My age shouldn't make a difference. My physical appearance, my ethnicity shouldn't make a difference. All those things are fears that we have. Will I be accepted here? at this church, at this place, in this community, in this family. Finally, after we get through those phases, it's almost like stages of something, isn't it? We might really start to love each other. Huh. Irony. We might start to miss the person that picks at us on a regular basis. I do. <laughs> There's a person that picked up me all the time, and when they left our church, I was like, Where's Sister So-and-so? She usually got something to say about what I have on. <laughs> I actually missed her. But I knew maybe that was her way of showing me how much she loved me. We might start to accept and love one another. Might, might we not? We might be able to spend time with each other and get to know each other and do life with each other and stop and say, would you just pray for me? I'm having the worst day. Or what I have to go to after this is something that you can't believe. I need you. Please pray for me. The three verses that I want to leave us with as we get close to the end of this. As we fellowship with one another, this brings joy 
to our Father, our common Heavenly Father, our powerful, our mighty, our awesome God, the God who communes with us, who forgives us and accepts us back into the well-beloved again and starts all over with us every day. He says, you'll make, Paul says this, we'll make God's joy, even though he's talking about himself. If we act right, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, getting along with each other, spending time with each other, doing life, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And the intented purpose of what we do together here in this church is to glorify God, isn't it? To make his name known, to proclaim who he is in the doors, outside the doors, at work, what we do when we go to school. That's the main purpose. So we got to be united. It's a team effort. Somebody's got to play this. And I don't know anything about football, so I'm not going to try this. But in baseball, you got to play left field, right field, pitcher, shortstop. Everybody's got a role. And we make his joy complete by being united in spirit. Then it says, we want people to say to us as they walk in Christ church's doors, look how they love one another. That is actually a scripture. When I came to check the church out before they started checking me out, I came to the front door with my daughter. I said, let's go when nobody's around, nobody's expecting us. Let's just go and see. So I came in the door and um, sat through church, came out and, and then I had to go do something. And I came back in the narthex area and there was this lady in a wheelchair that looked at me with this twinkle in her eye and says, I'm so glad you're here. And her daughter says, we've been praying for you to come. Now, they didn't know me from Adam, so the first thing I'm like, really? You've been praying for me to come? What they meant was that they were praying for new people to come through the doors. And later on, when I got to know them, they said, we were praying for some black people to come here. <laughs> they were more honest with me. And that was fine, because I was the answer to their prayer. And that's fine. If I could be an answer to somebody's prayer, I want to be that. But I thought it was so sweet. They said, we want to see this place look like the kingdom of God. I said, well, I will be your first member. Do that. And so that's okay with me. But then finally it says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity in spite of everything. And those of you who have spent time living with anybody in the same house, your sisters, your brothers, your husband, your wife, it's nice when it's good, isn't it? When the peace is there, when it's copacetic, as we used to say in the 60s, when things are mellow, it's good. And it brings joy and it's a reflection to people around us that you got a good relationship. It's the same thing with the Lord. When we dwell good together with him and we dwell well together with each other, it's a reflection on who he is. So here's a few consequences of spending time together that you might actually like each other. That you might realize there's no secret society in the church or a hidden agenda. That what you see in all of its many forms might be just what you're getting. You might find that we agree more than we disagree on. Sometimes when you have those hard conversations around politics and crazy things that people tell you you're not supposed to talk about, which are the essence of life, you might find out that because you know Christ, there's more that you agree on. You might find out that you are a gift to this body and a body of Christ at large, that you are, that we can accomplish more together than we can apart, and that we just might bring some other people to Jesus in spite of that. A comedian, politician, pundit, a political pundit last week said something, and it was quite interesting to me. And now when I start talking about this, you'll know who I'm talking about. 
he was on Charlie Rose's program, and there began to be an accusation about um, the Middle East and what was going on there. And the host said, well, that's just like most Christians. They can't get along with each other. They can't do, and this political pundit who I didn't know until I saw the program might have some kind of relationship with Christ said, Christians are not like this. This is a person who's as far from talking about Jesus as anybody else. But what it dawned on is he corrected this on a national program. He said, Christians are not like that. They don't do this. They're not like these folks who are doing things or rising up in the name of something else. They don't do that. Christians love each other. And I almost literally, I had to show Steve, I said, let me show you something. This person said this. They actually do care about each other, and they do have a sense of community. And Steve looked at me and said, ooh, he got that one right, didn't he? <laughs> Truth is, people know how we're supposed to be. They know how we're supposed to do life together. They know more than you think they know what a Christian should be. They may not be going around with a button, I love Jesus on my shirt. But they have some idea of what the Word of God says. Because it's woven into everything we do as a society, whether we like it or know it or not. Truth is, now, here's the end of the story. Some 37 years later, after being married to the same guy, we've become unbreakable. We've struggled together. We've raised kids together. We've left things together, joined things together walked through sickness with one another, done all kinds of things together. You know what? And it's so good now I can tell you what he's thinking most of the time. Somebody walked up to me in church, and I'm going to end with this pretty, pretty quickly, and said to me, and this is when we were at the same place, and they say we're mad at him about something he preached probably. And so, you know, when you're a pastor's wife, people mess with your kids and they mess with the wife because they expect you to go home and tell them. And I had to learn at a really young age to tell people, ah, go talk to him about that. And nine times out of ten, they never made it to him. But somebody came up to me one day and said, you know, Steve said, and they began to tell me what he said. And I thought about it, and I listened, and I said, no, he didn't. This is what he told you. And I repeated it back to them. And they said, well, yeah, that, that, that's more like what he said. How did you know it? Well, I know his character. Now, it's not that he can't do anything to disappoint me, but I know him. There's some trans things that translate into my relationship with Christ is that I know that God does. He's consistent in doing. But the way I know that is by living with him. Living with my life in right relationship with Christ. And the same thing can happen for you as we live and do community together. Help each other grow. Help each other struggle. Do the ugly cry with one another. Do life together gracefully. This final slide says, the fellowship of true friends is those who can hear you out, share your joys, help carry your burdens, and correctly counsel you. That's priceless. Man, I want people to look at us at Christ Church and say, look how they love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for showing us what unity looks like with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for showing us um, how you stuck with one another doing Christ's death on the cross. Thank you for showing us that doing life together is good and it's messy, 
but it's important. Thank you for letting us forgive and be forgiven. Thank you for letting us do life together. In Jesus' name, amen.